0: back to the show. You're listening to Firearms Cafe. I'm your host Tony Brown. Today is Sunday the 12th of February 2012. All right let's get our contact info out of the way. If you'd like to contact the show there's a couple of different ways to do so. You can use the voicemail which I happen to use for my other podcast so if you do use the voicemail just let me know that it's going to be for Firearms Cafe and that number is 206-745-2731. Also, if you want to send an email to the show, and I can read that out for you, or if you wanted to record an MP3 or a WAV file and attach it to that email, again, that's no problem. Just send that to firearmscafe at gmail.com. All one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. show is part of the gun rights radio network podcasting freedom one show thingy at a time or something like that i don't know You can hear Gun Rights Radio Network on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Gun Rights Radio Network shows can be found under sources. All right, let's go ahead and jump in, and we'll talk about... The Super Bowl ad that the Mayors Against Illegal Guns ran and uh, their coalition. And this was a commercial that was run by Boston Mayor Thomas Menino and New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg. What a crock this thing is. Uh, but anyway, let me go ahead and play that for you and then we'll come back and talk about it a little bit. Giants. Patriots. Eli. Brady. We don't agree
1: on much. For example, the Red Sox. Yankees. Beans. Bagels. We both support the Second Amendment. And believe America must do more to keep guns out of the hands of criminals. You know, over 600 mayors across the country agree on common sense reforms that would save lives. Add your voice. Go to mayorsagainstillegalguns.org. It's a patriarch
0: thing to do. You can make a giant difference in our country. Can you believe the... Audacity that these guys have when they say that they actually support the Second Amendment. the thing that's really I guess dangerous about this commercial is that if you were the average person, you would probably say well sure i'm I'm against you know criminals getting guns and this and that, but you know it's the language that they're using they're they're furthering kind of the myth that there's such a thing as an illegal gun. There are no illegal guns all guns are legal in the United States that they're talking about and even if you were to say oh well what about fully automatic weapons well they're legal in most states you just have to go through the ATF and get the proper paperwork but these guys oh what a what a bunch of creeps all these guys are and not just uh, not just these two jokers but all the rest as well And you know what hit me is as I was watching that thing and and looking at these guys in their jerseys that they're wearing for their respective teams, I kind of wondered how I would feel if I was a player and I was pro-gun and I knew about the gun culture and I knew about this basically sham and scam that this Mayor's Against Illegal Guns thing is, how I would feel as a player. They're basically politicizing the teams, they're, they're using the teams to, you know, further up uh, their own political agendas. Uh, but anyway, kind of, I was curious and the ad, you know, it talks about that you can go over and visit the website. So I did that. I went over there and, uh, the first thing pops up and it's a, it shows you what the ad is. The second, there's a little thing right below it says, you can skip the ad and go over to their website, which I did. And I looked at some of their literature and all this other stuff, and of course they're against national reciprocity. Uh, Their main thing, though, however, seems to be the so-called gun show loophole, which basically means they want it in private sales. They don't want you or I to be able to sell a gun to our neighbor, or in theory you would not be able to even give your gun to your son or daughter once they were old enough. So if you were 55 or so, or however old and you wanted to pass down one of your old shotguns, maybe it was your dad's shotgun. So they wanted their grandfather's shotgun. If you wanted to pass that down, if Bloomberg and his ilk had their way, you would have to, you couldn't do it. You would have to go through a, an FFL dealer so that there would be a record of it and all this other stuff. Uh, So anyway, that's what they're talking about basically when they're talking about the gun show loophole um, is that there, there could be any type of a sale or gift of a firearm without having to go through a, uh, a background check, even if you were giving that to one of your own family members. So they say that they've got about 600 coalition members. And I, I started looking through the thing and started doing a little bit of the math. And they've got representation, and I'll we'll use that word loosely, in 40 of the of the 50 states. And I was kind of ashamed that my state was one of them. So Arizona was one of them. And there's only one person, which is a person, Mayor Sarah R. Pressler. And I'll put a link to her uh, website and to the to the city of Flagstaff, and that's where she's from, is Flagstaff, Arizona. Now, the interesting thing is is when you go and you look at her stuff, is there's nothing on there that mentions Mayors Against Illegal Guns. There's, there's no links to it that I could find. Um, so I don't know if maybe she's one of these persons that maybe originally signed on to it, thinking it would maybe be a good idea, or in some cases... There have been cases where mayors in a lot of these small towns just got a letter saying, oh, we've signed you up as part of our mayors against illegal guns, and unless you don't want to be on, uh, you know, uh, or how, the, how, how did they term it? Uh, it's basically like unless you want to be taken off the list, don't take any further action type thing. So you're, you're still on the list unless you basically tell us you want to be off, unless we hear from you. And a lot of people, they never... Supposedly, some of these mayors said they never even saw the stuff. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Uh, but in a state like Arizona that's very pro-gun, um, probably not the smartest thing to do career-wise politically. Now, she's a, a two-term mayor, and she's not running for uh, the mayor again in, in 2012. However it looks like in one of her press releases when you go through and you look at some other stuff that she may want to return to public office at a later date. So she may be taking a, you know, a couple of years off and then come back. And this is stuff that I've talked about before on the show that a lot of these guys, they, they bounce from position to position so that they're always around. So that we we talk about a lot of times that politics is local and You know, how do you keep somebody from like a Bloomberg or how do you keep somebody like a a Charlie Rangel or or you know somebody like uh, Chuck Schumer from coming in and gaining a lot of power? Well, those guys all had to start somewhere, and usually they they'll start on a local city council or maybe they'll run for mayor and then they'll kind of go from there. But a lot of times, and what I've seen at least here in Arizona is you'll have somebody who will be a mayor for two or three years or four or five years, however long they're going to do it for, and then they'll maybe go and they'll be a state senator or they'll be a uh, back on the city council. It's very rare that these guys take any real time off from public service, if you want to call it that. They pretty much keep their, their fingers in the political pie. Uh, so anyway, if you guys want to write Mayor Sarah Pressler an email, be very respectful and just say, uh, "I saw you were on the uh, Mayors Against Illegal Guns website, and I wanted to know if you still supported that." Uh, I'm going to write her an email, and basically, what I'm going to say is, is I'm going to ask her why she supports an organization that is anti-civil rights and I'm going to name the organization and then I'm going to say that most people in Arizona are pro-civil rights and are pro-gun and just ask her to explain if if she still supports it. I imagine I won't get anything back uh, especially since she's not going to be running for re-election next year Uh, and also because I live in Phoenix and not in Flagstaff but Like I said, usually a lot of times these people have other political aspirations. So maybe I will. Maybe I will get something back. So anyway, uh, those were just a few thoughts that I had on there. Now, I want to talk about something a little different. And the the next thing that I'm going to talk about is going to probably have a few caveats here and there. There's a guy on YouTube and his channel, and I'll, I'll put a link to all this junk. Oh, you know what? Before I do that, let's let's jump right back to this uh, mayors against illegal guns thing. They say that they have over six hundred members, and again, because this mayor Pressler isn't going to be running, she's no longer she won't be on the uh, on the roster anymore. So it'll be interesting to see after the uh, after the mayoral elections in Flagstaff if they'll put anybody on there or not. But anyway, earlier I said that they had about 40 states. They had representation uh, of about 40 states. If you look at where the majority of their numbers come from, you would probably say, well, you would think that a place like New York and New Jersey would have lots and lots of members. Uh, but if you look at where the vast majority of their numbers come from, The highest is Pennsylvania, which I was kind of surprised at. there was over 165 mayors that were part of the coalition in Pennsylvania. In New York, there was at least 121. In New Jersey, there was 67. And in Ohio, there was 50. So if you add up just those, those four states, those four states alone account for 453 of their members. And then if you add up sort of the next highest one, which would be California, you're looking at about 494 members. Five of those states equals almost all of their of their members, of their membership. So it you know when they say six hundred, it's it's really kind of disproportionate. Where you're really seeing a lot of this stuff comes a lot of the big numbers coming from are real, you know, blue states, I guess for lack of a better term, uh, you know, heavily democratic states. So they're not as powerful as 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 people would as, or as they seem to make themselves out to be. It's kind of like the uh, oh what the heck is it the Violence prevention and hanging, whatever it's called, the Brady Center, they're kind of things that are sort of falling by the wayside because people, once they get a little, just a little bit of education and really kind of see what they're wanting to do, what their ultimate end game is, is to kind of back away from them. Again, 600 sounds like a lot, but almost 500 of those 600 mayors come from only five states out of 50. You know, if we look at all you know all the states in the in the union, so really I I don't think they're going to have that much sway. But what I would urge you to do is go over to that website. If you see your mayor listed, get you know shoot them off an email. Tell them, hey, you're on this website. Do you support this? Where are you on there with their permission? Uh, and if not, get them taken off. Do you know? Do a little bit to. To kind of keep some realism and some reality with these kind of things. And, you know, a lot of times we talk about, well, is there stuff that we can do? What can we do to make a difference? And again, it kind of goes back to that thing of all politics are local. If you can put the pressure on the local people, and if they know, you know, man, I better not do anything against the Second Amendment or I better not, you know, support a lot of this nonsense, when they go further in their political career, which most of these guys, you know, have political aspirations beyond whatever office they're in right now, maybe they'll take that message. They'll remember that they'll remember. Oh, you know what? Don't, don't mess with people on the second amendment or it can cost you your election. All right. So anyway, now let's go ahead and move on to the next thing I wanted to talk about. There's a guy on YouTube and I'll, again, I'll link to him as well, but he, uh, he his channel is called the sardi one and all what i'm going to do is i'll go ahead and play one of his uh one of his uh, next to last video type things it's probably better if i just go ahead and play it for you it's long it's almost uh i think it's almost 10 minutes or so But it's an interesting story. So I'll go ahead and play that for you guys, and then when we come back, we'll talk about that a little bit.
1: Well, folks, looks like the D-Sardi One channel has come to an end. Now, I've been trying to get this straightened out, but they say there's no way, there's no mechanism to have it expunged from my record, Uh, except for the governor, and the governor... Says he can't do it. He's lying. You have been declared mental defective by having been committed to a mental institution. A couple of months ago, no, three months ago, back in November, went to a cardiologist. Uh name was Dr. Andre Olivier. Olivier, whatever. Anyway, he would sent me to St. Thomas' Heart in Murfreesboro to get tests run. A month and a half had went by, and I had heard nothing from him. Called up, made another appointment. Wind wound up being about the uh, 16th or 15th of last month. Let me pull up the calendar so I can get these dates right. Let's see. Yeah, 16th of January. Let's see him for the test results. Well, he said there wasn't nothing wrong with my heart. Told him about the suffocating feeling I was I'd got with the chest pains. Anyway, he proceeded, you know, give me kinds of things that well, we could do this. We could cut you, cut a hole and run a tube in your throat and all like that. And you know, I was like, well, why not just let me let me pass on? You know, just let me go. If you know, I have to live with tubes and holes in me, I don't want to do that. You know, you can consider this a living living video will. I do not want to live with tubes hanging out of me. Okay, Uh, I refused treatment. Well, anyway, discussion got to suicide because, you know, uh, what do you call it? When I was having that attack, I thought I was going to suffocate. And uh, I told him that was the closest I'd ever been. Well, anyway, it got on to the thing of, uh, I thought he was joking because he was laughing uh, about, you know, doing suicide. And I can't do suicide being a Christian, so... I started saying, well, I could put a sheet over my head and run through the projects. Well, anyway, he decides to, uh, you know, he wants me to go to the emergency room. So I said, I don't have, uh, I don't have time. I've got animals i got to take care of. I mean, I ain't got time to uh, to do anything. And I'm not going to kill myself. You know, let me go. Leave me alone. Well, you, you need to go. I think you need to go to the emergency room. I think at time I have animal stock. I have to go feed the animals. But well, anyway, I skedaddled. I got home, and within 15 minutes, the sheriff's office showed up uh, and forcibly took me to the emergency room. Now, when I got to the emergency room, I cooperated for a little while, but after a couple of hours, I got irate and I refused to cooperate. I figured by that time I was a prisoner. They they made me a prisoner, so I pretty much shut up and said. No, not getting, you ain't taking no more blood pressures. You ain't doing nothing. So they put me in McFarland Hospital for observation. At no time did I ever say I wanted to commit suicide. Matter of fact, I told them I was a Christian. Couldn't commit suicide. So, I had to wait four days till a judge showed up. Well, it was, two, it was a second day before I even got to see an attorney. The attorney doesn't really, you know, he's, he's like a public defender. He's not really motivated. He says, well, just keep your mouth shut. Tell the doctor I'm feeling fine. I'm not seeing anything, and I don't want to commit suicide. So for three days, they pretty much starved me because I had to, I told them, you know, they said have put me on a low-carb diet, and everything they brought up from the kitchen was potatoes and things full of sugar and all like that. So I couldn't eat none of none of it. Uh, basically, what I had for breakfast was a two scrambled eggs. Uh, sometimes for lunch they didn't bring me nothing, and for supper uh, usually I could I could get the hamburger patty uh, off of a hamburger. And some there was one supper there was nothing. I didn't get to eat I didn't get to eat nothing but two eggs all day. And uh, luckily they had some cheese for snacks, and cheese is low carb, so I could have, uh, these little squares of cheese, uh, for the snack, but that's all I ate for four days, so I'm pretty angry, and I'm still angry, and, uh, you know, judge, when I went in front of the judge, um, let me get his name, might as well, might as well be a name dropper, you know, might as well get the judge's name, uh, get, get everything correct here, so, Judge John Gwynn, you know, he shows up, and I go to his little little room where he's at. I tell him the story. I said, yeah, I got a little sarcastic with the doctor, but I was never admitted to committing suicide. Anybody that wants, there's no such thing as anybody that wants to commit suicide. But the is, they belong in there. But usually people wanting to, are that are planning on committing suicide is doing it because they're in some kind of pain, or, you know, whatever, so, nobody really wants to commit suicide, but, you know, if, if, let me get this up. if, I wanted to, there's still nothing they could do about it. If, I wanted to. But, you know, so much for suicide. Uh, I figure after Pooh hits the fan, I'll, be dead. I can't run. I can't defend myself. So, all the guns are gone. I'll probably be dead before then from the trolls that want to kill me anyway. So, I mean, the only thing left to do is poison all my crap. And, that's illegal too. So, basically, uh, I've been raped by this doctor, Olivier. Oh yeah, the the judge's name, yeah, it was John Gwynn. The attorney that didn't really care was David Kennedy. He he left. He went out of, out of country on vacation, conveniently right when all this is going on. So uh, really, there's no reason for me to prep anymore. I have nothing at all left to prep for. Uh, with a person being a libertarian in my political beliefs, I might as well. They might as well have stuck me in prison. Uh, there's really. Nothing left to live for. I mean, what? Uh, they took away the only sport that I was enjoying was going target practicing. Uh, the only thing left I could do? Like I said, the, the uh, governor, he's the only one that could do anything and won't. governor, that's Tennessee. Uh, his name was Bill Halson. I wish I'd never campaigned for him. Even my state senator, you know, kind of shunned away from me after I helped her with, tried to help her with her elections, uh, Senator Beavers, so I mean, there's I at this particular time I'm not going to make any more videos I just don't feel like it I just I mean, I just figure what's the point, there's no point, uh, probably uh, I don't know I might check, see if there's another country that'll have me, <laughs> Uh, might just sell the goats and see if I can find homes for my dogs. Well, folks, uh, I thought I'd let you know what happened to the channel. I'm gonna put this as the channel update. Let's say, oh, I hope you get a good attorney, D. Sardi. Guess what? If I had money for an attorney, I would have had my surgery done by now. There is gonna be no attorney. So there we go. Goodbye, YouTube.
0: All right, so again, I would urge you guys, even though you just heard it, I would urge you to go and and sort of check out his channel a little bit and watch some of his videos. Now, he's a guy, he's, and I I don't think I'm talking out of school when I would say that he's one of these guys that is very opinionated. He's going to rub people, a lot of people the wrong way. He is one of these guys that sort of shoots his mouth off. He's, I think, he says things sometimes without thinking. And when you listen to how, of what happened to him in his story, and again, all this is, again was with the caveat that I'm I'm looking at it just pretty much from his his point of view. And kind of as a follow up, one of the lawyers, the the lawyer that I guess his name was John Harris, that he was talking to. Um, and originally said that he was going to take the case has now refused it so i i don 't know what 's going on with there. It may be the thing that that he 's not what would be called a sympathetic victim in this case or or a sympathetic face you know he 's not some little gray haired old lady or uh you know someone who you know has a history of maybe being repressed or discriminated against, but anyway. A lot of this stuff, if it's true, there's a lot of very frightening things in there. The fact that he res- he refused to get certain medical treatment and then the basically he didn't want to go along with what the doctor was recommending and then supposedly the sheriffs came out and took him and then uh, maybe by him kind of shooting his mouth off and doing some other stuff, they were able to then involuntarily commit him Uh, for observation and according to him he hasn't actually been i guess i don't know if he's actually been adjudicated that or not Uh, but if a judge did make a ruling saying that he was at the time mentally deficient um, i don't know and maybe that's why the lawyer backed out of the case but the bigger picture is is basically the the um the intrusion of the state onto this guy's life. This guy, whether you like him or don't like him, is a big Second Amendment supporter, whether you think he's kind of a big fat loudmouth or a jerk, uh, which he would probably say sometimes he is. What was ha- What's happened to him, again, with the caveat of if what he's saying is true, is really unfair and is really outrageous, and it's a it's a miscarriage of of what the system should be set up for. Now, could this guy have avoided some stuff? Because that's what some people are going to say. If this guy would have, when they when they talked about the question of suicide or depression or this or that, if if that stuff came up, if he would have just said, "Look i I don't have any thoughts of that," and also, because of my religious views, taking my own life as not something that I view as any type of an option. So for me, there you know I have no thoughts of it, and for me, it's something that I philosophically and religiously am against. Then that probably would have been the end of it. But because the guy's kind of a, a a wise guy and a smart ass, I think he probably brought some of this stuff down on himself. Now, having said that. I think it's wrong that just him being kind of a smart ass and a wise guy and probably playing up the drama a little bit more. Uh, there are a lot of people out there that when they, they feed on that kind of nonsense, that when stuff goes on like that, they like to try and push buttons. And I think this guy is probably a little bit of a, uh, of a button pusher. Uh, and I think he'd probably admit that. I don't think he would say that I would be misdescribing or or uh, disparaging him in in that way. Um, but go on there, like I said, go on there. I I like some of his videos. I don't agree with all of them. I don't I don't like the guy's personality all that much, but he says some interesting things. And you know, you don't have to agree with somebody a hundred percent to be able to learn something from him or to, or to, uh, be able to, to watch a few of those videos and say, Oh, okay. I never thought of, of, uh, you know, maybe putting stuff away this way or that way. Um, but again, I think if what this guy is saying is true, it, uh, he, he's getting a real raw deal here. But, uh, again, we only, you know, with YouTube and with some of this stuff, we only, we only see, what the people that are putting the videos out want us to see. Uh, So, uh, but I guess, you know, the kind of getting back to this thing, the bigger, the bigger thing is the bigger picture. If we kind of go beyond him and we say that, you know, if, if the state can come in simply because some doctor feels that you didn't answer a couple of questions the way that you should have, if they can come in Enter your home, take you out of your home, take all your firearms away, basically take your private property away from you, and then you really have no recourse. Um, Back when I worked probation, a lot of times you would be involved with people that mentally had a lot of challenges and a lot of problems, and a lot of people that just, for lack of a better term, just weren't all there. And in Arizona, there was a thing, uh, which I'm sure in in most states, but uh, unless this has changed at the time, there was a thing called an involuntary commitment. And the way that it worked is, let's say that you had a couple of family members or you had a, a family member and a, and a family friend or something like that. If you had, I think, at least two people that went to the authorities and said, hey, I think You know, John Smith over here, uh, who's my brother or who's my son or my, you know, cousin, me and this other person, we think that he is in danger of committing suicide or he's in danger of, you know, harming himself or he's got, uh, you know, these kids in his house. And we think that he's acting in a way to where he needs to get some help and get kind of straightened out and get back on track, but he's refusing to do so. And if you sign the proper paperwork, and again, I think it was only two, it may have, there may have needed to be three, but I think it was only two people, that two people could actually have you involuntarily committed, that they could come down and normally what would happen is they would sign this stuff and then the sheriff would come out and they would say, Hey, we've got this order for you to go turn yourself into this hospital for a 72 hour evaluation which is basically three days. And you would say, well, Tony, that is BS. That stuff does not happen. But I know somebody to whom that happened. And it it basically happened because this person's mother and her sister, they were going through a big family fight. And they knew from past experiences that, this was a way that they could get back at the person that I knew. And we'll just call her, uh, what's, a, what's a name? Uh, Rhonda. I don't know, for lack of a better word. Uh, well, and so that was a way that they could get back at her. And what happened is she was telling me is that the sheriff came and said, you can either go now and voluntarily turn yourself in or we'll take you right now. And she agreed to go in. She was able to go in a few hours later and do it that way. Uh, but she had to go through the thing, and of course they, they did the eval on her and did all this stuff, very invasive, very intrusive. Uh, and at the end of the 72-hour period, she was released, and uh, there was sort of nothing more was said of that. However, that stuff is still on her record somewhere, So, and I'm sure if that person wanted to buy a firearm, that may be something that would would maybe keep her from doing it or raise some flags, something like that to where if uh, a retailer saw that, they may say, you know what? We don't have to sell you a gun just because you're coming in here and you want to buy it. And we're seeing there's this little red flag. So even though it wouldn't be illegal for us to sell you a gun, we wouldn't be breaking any statutes or laws. We're not going to. So, you know, out the door you go. Bye bye. Uh, And again, in her case, I, I knew the, the, the lady for a long time. And, uh, it a lot of the stuff was just was baseless, and I was surprised that that had actually happened to her so uh, again, when you go in uh, you know a lot of times we talk about well, how much information should we share, how much stuff about ourselves should we put out there? Uh, but when you're talking to some of the so called health professionals, just be very careful about what information you share with them, be very careful about how you convey certain information to them if you're there for a hurt knee and they want to start talking about firearms or, you know, do you store up food or do you, uh, you know, if they want to talk politics or something, you need to nip that stuff right in the bud and say, Hey, you know, this, I'm here for my knee and we need to confine this stuff to that. And if they keep pushing you, you need to get up and walk out and say, look, I've, you're, you're not, you're not providing me the service that that I am paying you to provide me. So I need to find a different physician that will focus on my ailments and not on political philosophies. Uh, I doubt if you'd ever have to go that far. Usually once you said that a couple of times, they'll, they'll do that. Now, different States may be different In Arizona. I don't think there's any required questions that they have to ask you. Uh, One time, long time ago, I, uh, I went down to, uh, what was it for? I think I had something wrong with my hand or something. I can't remember. I think I'd hurt my finger or something like that. And anyway, they were, you know, I was talking to them about stuff and they were like, well, are you doing this? You're doing that. And they're just trying to get a medical history. And then one of the things they started talking about was, do you have any suicidal tendencies? You know, have you ever commit, tried to commit suicide in the past? Have you, do you have any thoughts of self harm or harm of others? and, at the time, I, I thought it was kind of odd, but, uh, I just said, you know, you just know, I, you know, I don't have any of those thoughts and blah, 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 you, you know, then, which it, it was intrusive. And there was a couple of ways that I could have handled it. I could have said, you know what, this is none of your business. This doesn't have anything to do, you know, with a strained or a sprained finger or something like that. Just, you know, give me a splint and I'll be out of here. Um, but I think, and I think that's what again this guy maybe did. he kind of started going down the primrose path and got lost in the weeds and then kind of look what happened to him so anyway, guys, just be very careful when you're talking to certain people especially especially people that feel that they're in a position of power or they're in a position of authority, and if you start to what they consider go against their their level of authority or uh, push back on their their uh, their power or their influence or whatever you want to say, there may be consequences that that come down to you. So again, we talk about a lot of times you know in, this, in the Second Amendment culture, we talk about awareness, we talk about looking around and educating yourself and getting training and make sure you know what's going on around you, but. It, it not It's not just in the physical thing of, of keeping yourself physically aware of your surroundings. It's also sort of in the mental game that you have to play with with certain people. Uh, and especially when you when you go in and talk to anybody who is uh, again unfortunately, uh, maybe your doctor or a person in the ER that you're having to see or if you had to go to an urgent care, be very careful what information you give them, be very careful. Um how you speak to them in regards to what might be considered sensitive issues. So things about firearms, things about uh do you have any types of any any thoughts of self harm or and if you said, Well, you know, if I wa I don't, but if I was gonna kill myself and you name off fifteen ways to do it, maybe that sets up a red flag for them and then maybe you you find yourself in a lot more trouble because you kind of wanted to be a, a smart-ass a little bit or you kind of wanted to maybe press somebody's buttons a little bit or have a little fun with them.
2: Hey, Tony. This is Lawrence from North Carolina, a Brazilian and American guy living in North Carolina. I am a member of the... Rights Radio Network Forums. My name there is 10Sport64. I have a comment to make uh, if you suffer my Brazilian accent. (laughs) Well, the thing is, uh, I'm getting lots of uh, letters asking contributions, and I know we all should uh, support NRA and Second Amendment Foundation, and I've been doing this in the last three, four years. I know it's important. I know what they do. And uh, I'll continue to support. But the other day I was at the range, and when we had a break, I was talking to some friends. And they started to talk about the salaries, uh, you know, the top-notch position salaries on those groups. And, uh, if you know, if they make the money I heard they make, I kind of feel bad you know, putting my money to millionaires' uh, salaries, if I may say so. Uh, I would like to hear comments from you on this issue, okay? Please continue to do uh, the wonderful uh, work you do in both podcasts. I, I listen to both, okay? Well, I'll see if I continue to make my contributions after uh, giving you know more thinking on this uh, cause I probably will continue to support uh, NRA and Second Amendment foundation but i don't I probably won't uh, continue to support some others. I have uh, on my list three other uh, groups or you know organizations that uh, in some way shape or form defend my rights, and not only on the gun, uh, you know, issue, but I support uh, organizations that fight, uh, you know, cancer and Alzheimer's, but the salaries on those groups is something that, you know, that hurts my my feelings as a supporter. <laughs> I don't want to be dramatic. So... Uh, You have a good day, and thank you for taking my call.
0: Bye-bye. Hey, Lawrence, thanks for sending that in. Good to hear from our Brazilian friend there. And we're glad you're in America now with us and being able to own guns and all that kind of jazz. Although I don't know much about laws down in South America and Brazil. Uh, Could you own guns down there? What type of guns could you own? Um, What were some of the laws down there regarding firearms? If you have uh, extra time, uh, go ahead and call in again or send an email, and I'll I'll read it for you on kind of what it's like to be a uh, a gun owner, if possible, down there. Like I said, I don't have any idea about about the laws in Brazil. Your phone call brings up a lot of a lot of issues that a lot of people have with the NRA and with other organizations like them. And I guess the main thing is isn't necessarily oh should we support them because we should we should try and do what we can but i i guess the main thing is, is do the leadership do they deserve the compensation that they're getting and i went online and i tried to find out you know what the what the leadership got paid and Some of the stuff was from a few years ago, so I don't know how current it would be, and I don't know, again, how accurate it is either. On the high end, it was close to about $900,000 for one person. And on the low end, it was around probably $450,000. And uh, this would be primarily, I guess, for uh, Wayne LaPierre. Uh, But the leadership... You know, the three or four guys that are kind of the highest guys there. That's what they estimated their salaries were. There's probably a way to find out definitively because of the way that they're set up. But uh, if there is, I couldn't really find it. So, kind of getting back to the thing of... I, I do think we... Bottom line, I think we should support them. And I think we should support as many of the organizations that we feel are doing are doing some good for the Second Amendment and doing good for us as as gun owners. So if you look at an organization like Second Amendment Foundation, if you look in my state, like an organization like Arizona Citizens Defense League, and again if you look at the NRA, you see that there's a lot of legislation that gets pushed through and backed. Uh, and so they are doing good. And I guess ultimately, we could go around and around about a bunch of different things, but ultimately what you have to look at is, do you feel that the organization is stacking up? And do you feel that those guys deserve some level of compensation? And then once you get to a certain level, do you think it should stop? Do you think it, you know, that they shouldn't be, you know, they shouldn't make more than, let's say, $250,000 and all the rest of the money should go back in. Um, And there's, there's sort of, I guess, maybe two sides to that, to that coin. You know, we don't, before we talk about those two sides, we don't really have the George Soroses and the Bill Gates and the Michael Bloombergs we don't have these billionaire guys that are funneling tons of money in support of the second amendment in fact we have uh, most of the money that we get is you know kind of grassroots things i'm sure and i you know i'm sure there's some people who write big checks but for the most part we don't have some one or two people or three people that are pumping in hundreds of millions of dollars every year And when you look at something like the NRA, you, you almost have to look at it like it was a private corporation. And I think, I don't know, the estimates of what they bring in, and again, who knows how accurate they are, are probably around 200 to $230 million a year that they bring in. And uh, of course, out of that, you know, there's a lot. I mean, you have to pay for buildings, you have to pay for staff, you have to pay for all the office supplies, you know, you got to pay bills and blah blah blah, all this other stuff. And then you have, to, and I'm not sure if they do healthcare for people or all that kind of jazz. I don't know. I'm sure they do. And maybe one of the one of the sides of those of, of the coin of the argument is <clears throat> if you look at the NRA as a big corporation, your top people you want to be competent and you want to get results, and the way that you do that. Is you pay for it, you get people that are really good at what they do, and you don't want it to be somebody who's a volunteer because then they cannot concentrate fully on what you want uh, on the results that you want. Uh, also, if you don't pay them well, you could uh, you, you could probably make the case that it would it would be easy for an outside source to come in and either with money or influence be able to maybe pay off some of the people at the in the top at the top level. But if you pay them well, then you, you greatly reduce that. Uh, and then of course the other side of the coin is, you know, why do they need to have so much? Why couldn't they just get by with a hundred and fifty or two hundred thousand or two hundred and fifty thousand and then the rest of that money can be funneled into to other things. Uh, you know, so again, I, I, I do think you should support them. You're not going to agree with everything that they do all the time. Uh, and if, if you have kind of qualms about just the NRA in general, I would say still be a member. If you wanted to do like a yearly thing, do it that way. That way you're always sending in, you know, your 35 bucks, a, you know, a year. So they're getting that, um, but if you think that there are other organizations out there that do a better job, like Second Amendment Foundation, like maybe some of your local rifle and pistol organizations or political uh, associations that you think are out there fighting and doing what they need to do, be members with them. You know, there's only none of us are, are have wealth beyond our imagining, so there is a limit. On who we can support and what we can do in in terms of uh, that support being a monetary thing, you know, look at who you think is actually doing stuff for legislatively, meaning that who are the people out there that are are getting good laws put on the books, new new laws, and who are the people out there that are also having old laws that were bad taken away having things rescinded. So I don't know if that answered your question or kind of helped you with it at all. Um, but you know, I guess I do have, I'll say one other thing about the NRA and it's, it's a, it's critical of them, but it's one thing that I've always kind of been critical of them where I thought they've always kind of have fallen short. And that is, there seems to be a disconnect when you look at the the upper echelon of the of the NRA and toward the lower membership and also there seems to be a reluctance to embrace new technology and new things and embrace some of the grassroots movements and uh, part of this, I think just has to do with, you know, they, they, a lot of them have the mentality of this is how we've done things and it's worked in the past. So we're, if it's not broke, we're not going to fix it type thing. And I think another part of it is, is if they start embracing new things and new ideas and, and bringing in new people, it's going to sort of water down their, their power base. And it's going to water down who gets credit for stuff. And, uh, One of the things that Charles Heller, who was one of the founding members of Arizona Citizen Defense League, always says in speeches and things, and when I've talked to him, he says that it's, it's amazing what an organization can get accomplished when the members of that organization don't care who gets the credit for it. And unfortunately, when we look and start to look at things like NRA, Second Amendment Foundation, Gun Owners of America... Getting credit for stuff is tied to monetary rewards. So they do care about who gets credit for things. And sometimes this can lead to things to where the truth gets stretched to maybe out-and-out out lies, which is unfortunate. I think it was Jefferson that, what did he say, every 20 years or so there needs to be a revolution? and i think back in the 70s the nra had a revolution where a lot of the leadership was changed and how they were going to do things were changed and i think there probably needs to be another revolution in the nra uh, it needs to be brought into the 21st century and things and strategies need to change and Some things can remain the same, but some things need to change. And I I think really one of the things that really needs to change is how they are going to use social media, how they're going to use the internet, how they're going to reach out and get new people in, as well as keeping the members that they do have. One of the things I was pretty disappointed about was when Obama was elected, I thought that we would see a surge in membership. I thought we would double at a minimum, we would double the, the membership that we have. And at the time, I think it was around three point some odd million. Uh, it's, it's hard to, to get a straight answer again on the membership, what the actual numbers are. But I think now, even after Obama's been in power and all this other stuff, it's we're really only up to around like four million. So there's, uh, again, there's a, there's a disconnect somewhere in, in the people that they're reaching out to. And sometimes I feel that maybe they're... Some of the, the top people who've been around for the last 95 years only want a certain face in the crowd. They only want a certain type of face in the crowd. Maybe I'm wrong on this. Maybe it's a little bit of a stretch, but I kind of don't think so. And I think if the organization... Is to really grow and to really be able to be a powerhouse, you know, more more than it is now. There needs to be a lot more outreach into getting people who don't all look the same uh, and who don't all believe the same. So anyway, I think that's gonna. Hopefully, that maybe answered some. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. I hope it did, Lawrence. And uh, again, I hope to hear from you they get in the future. Thanks for uh, calling in. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the last bit of feedback that I got, and it's from our buddy Ken. He is the host of the Rimfire podcast, which you should be listening to, and he's also right now currently active duty in the military over in Afghanistan, and he's still putting out a podcast. So I hope you go over there and uh, give him a listen. And uh, kind of as an aside, we're thinking about you, Ken, and we're sending out good vibes to you every day. All right, so over on the uh, forums, Gun Rights Radio Network forums, Ken had had uh, written a post about show 67, and I'm just going to go ahead and read it out. So he writes, In a convergence of recent podcasts and my own mad scientist tendencies, I've begun to explore the possibilities of building a custom, full-size, multi-caliber Glock. However, I'm still wondering if the idea has true merit. Stick with me and you'll see why it relates to the episode. What is it? It's a full-size Glock built on a Lone Wolf Distributors Timberwolf frame, with uh, with one slide and barrels for both 357 Sig and 40 uh, 40 Cal Smith and Wesson, plus a conversion barrel for 9 mm So all three barrels would be threaded, of course, and you would have magazines for all calibers. Then a 22 long rifle conversion kit, either from Advantage Arms or Tactical Solutions. Tall suppressor sights on both slides. So, what the hell for, and what would be the downsides? So why would you have this thing, and what would be some of the downsides? So first, let's look at the positive. If there is ammo shortage, having four calibers to choose from, may net whatever is left on the shelf, different calibers for different needs. And so the four calibers would be you'd have 22 long rifle, nine millimeter, 357 sig, and 40 cal. Uh, So you got different calibers for different needs. You could shoot IDPA or three gun and nine millimeter would all would be the all you would need. If you were going to take a hike in the woods, 357 sig would go a long way to discouraging four or two-legged predators. And the 22 long rifle would provide cheap practice and a way to bag small game. Uh, the Timberwolf frame may fit hands better, and uh, who doesn't love a suppressed gun? So those are some of the things on the positive. Now on the negative, he writes, "Well, that's a lot of scratch for one pistola," and he thinks that forty Smith and W. Uh, Smith and W. <laughs> brother, he thinks that forty Smith and Wesson is waste. And having to buy four calibers is more expensive and could be used to buy a lot more of one. And it's not likely that this would be a CCW piece or a concealed carry gun. And he concludes with, so there it is. What are your thoughts? All right, Ken, interesting question. If you guys want to go over to Gun Rights Radio Network Forum, you can go to the Firearms Cafe section, look for the topic uh, that's called show 67 related musings and question and you'll see you'll be able to see all the uh, links and everything that uh, ken provided in his post over there so you can see all the stuff that he's talking about so let's look at some of the upsides and downsides so the upsides would be it would be a super fun project it'd be fun to go on the hunt for the stuff and get what you want uh, another upside would be it would be cheaper if you had an interest in shooting all those calibers. It would be cheaper than buying dedicated guns for each and every one of those things. Also, if you wanted to, if you were going out camping with it or something like that, and you wanted to take uh, the extra, the extra barrels and the extra, um, the, a little bit of the extra ammo for each thing, so that you could you know, shoot different stuff if you wanted to, you know, that would be a way to do it, maybe to throw into a bug out bag or something like that. So that you could throw in the extra barrels and and maybe, you know, in the case of the 22 conversion, the slide. And then if you had to leave or were, you know, there was some disaster situation. If you got somewhere where there wasn't any 40 caliber ammunition, but you could find some nine millimeter or one of your friends or something, they had plenty of 357 SIG, but they didn't have any nine, you know, you could, you could change that stuff out. Uh, how likely that is. Eh, I don't know. That's probably more one of those things where it's a, you know, gaming stuff out in your head type thing to, uh, to look for shortcomings and things. So the downside, let's look at the downside. The downside is going to be the cost. Uh, that is a lot of money. When that stuff is going to start adding up real super quick. Uh, especially if you're buying, you know, suppressors and you're having to, and you want to have also with the magazines, if you want to have six to 10 magazines so that that gives you, you know, many years supply with them, um, that's going to add up too. And if you, if you need to have, you know, six to 10 magazines per caliber, you know, you're, you're talking, you know, over 40 mags, you know, for those four calibers, if you wanted to have 10, 10 magazines. Uh, also I don't, I don't know how practical it would be for somebody like me to try and stockpile up a ton of the different ammo. Um, I think that you kind of hit it on the head in your post when you were saying that it would be easier. Um, it's easier to stock up maybe on one caliber than it is on four. So, uh, I don't know, I guess overall it would be a super fun project. And if you had the money and if you, and also if you were maybe squared away on some other things, um, or if you were going to do it maybe as a long-term project and you, and you were going to use it as maybe a concealed carry piece, um, you would have it, you know, if, if 40 was going to be your, your, caliber of choice or 357 SIG was going to be your caliber of choice and the other stuff was just for fun, maybe that would that would do it too. Um, but all in all, for me, I would probably go the route of getting, like for my 9mm, I've got a Glock 17. So in that scenario, what I would like to do would be maybe to get a, uh, a threaded barrel in 9mm and then get a 22 conversion and then I would just I would work with those and then maybe work with trying to get a suppressor later on and again the suppressor would be more for fun but um and I think you talked about on oh, I can't remember what what episode it was of yours Ken where you were talking about if you were if you were carrying a nine millimeter and you were out camping or something like that and you did get lost it would it, it doesn't take up hardly any room and it's hardly any weight at all for you to throw in 50 rounds of 22 or even 100 rounds of 22 long rifle. And then if you've got the slide kind of wrapped up in a cloth or a little kit that goes into your backpack or goes into your day pack. And then you have got an excellent gun. Uh, you've got a 9mm with good, you know, with good ammo. That's going to be an uh, excellent uh, self defense round. But then you would also have that, that nice little 22 that you could convert over. And I've thought this for years. In fact, when I very first started, uh, was looking at getting my, uh, conversion, that was one of the main reasons why I did it is because you, I'd say, well, you could take this camping with you. And even if, well, even if you weren't lost and, and you were out there and you're saying, oh, let's, you know, let's harvest some squirrels today or something like that. And you could just, you know, easily s- switch out that, that, uh, slide. And then all of a sudden you've got a 22, you know, pop in the mag and you're good to go. So, uh, that would probably be the, the, the way that I would go. And, uh, it's, I'm sure lots of people have had that same thought that we have had that, that 22 long rifle slide to go on the Glock would, would give you so much versatility. So I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Thank you guys for listening. And I will talk to you again next time.
1: human strength